What's the only weekly wrap-up of the top compliance and ethics stories? It is This Week in FCPA with Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, and Jay Rosen, Mr. Monitor. Each week, Tom and Jay highlight 10 stories which caught their collective eye, talk about sports and movies, highlight top podcasts, and preview their upcoming events. Join This Week in FCPA each week for a one-stop review of the week's compliance and ethics highlights. This Week in FCPA is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. On this episode, I'm taking a solo turn as Jay is moving this weekend. However, I have two special guests. First of all, Matt Kelly joins me to talk about our lead story, Alex O's unexpected resignation from the Securities and Exchange Commission, and speculate as to the real reasons for it. We're also joined by Dave Leefort, the Editor-in-Chief at Compliance Week, who joins me to talk about the Compliance Week 2021 virtual conference being held in May. Some of the other stories we'll look at including includes why compliance needs to understand the business process, how location risk is a critical risk not often considered, what are the three things forward-thinking boards need to look at. Dick Casson says for Procrastination and working from home, look to writers for inspiration. These stories, many more, all on This Week in FCPA. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. Welcome to This Week in FCPA, episode 250 for the week ending, April 30, 2021, the O is Out edition. If you are watching this live, you will no doubt see the smiling face of the coolest guy in compliance, Matt Kelly, not the sour, dour face of Mr. Monitors himself, Jay Rosen, who is OOO today due to a move. So Matt has agreed to join me to talk about one of the most uh, delicious stories to come out in the last couple of days, and that is that Alex O has resigned from her position as Director of Enforcement at the Securities and Exchange Commission. Matt, uh, you you didn't break the story, uh, but you did write about it and blog about it, and you were able to put together a couple of disparate pieces. So perhaps you could uh, set the stage on what happened here. Yeah, so uh, this is nuts. Um, what happened <laughs> is that Alex O, who was named as the new uh, director of the Division of Corporation uh, um, Division of Enforcement for the SEC, last week on April twenty second, she was announced as the new director, and uh, yesterday, April twenty eighth, six days later, she resigned. Uh, so I'm not even entirely clear if Miss O. Uh, was even on the job at all, or like, did she get her office email set up in that time, and now it's deactivated? Uh, but whatever had happened, it seems to be um, there are a couple of different threads of what went on here. Is that there are definitely liberal voices within the Democratic Party that were not thrilled with Alex O as the enforcement director because she had a long career as a corporate defense attorney, including with Exxon. Uh, and then there seems to be this uh, precipient event specifically that just a few days ago, a judge uh, found that uh, she might have some conduct concerns uh, that uh, it seems like she said something untoward about opposing counsel in a deposition. And the judge was talking about why shouldn't he sanction her? And, uh, you know, we can get into that. But there was that. 
There was the fact that she had little political enthusiasm among Chairman Gary Gensler's uh, political support supporters and constituencies. And so here we are. She resigned six days after she started. So I find this delicious as a lawyer, as an absolute political junkie, as a fan of the Biden administration, as a watcher of the nutbag left wing part of the Democratic Party. We've got a lot going on here to unpack, but I have to start, Matt, with uh, Alex O, uh, partner Paul Weiss, a defender of corporate America, and uh, in my mind, all things Justin Wright, moving over to become a regulator. And I was actually, uh, if not thrilled, intrigued because I felt like when you have someone, uh, and speaking as a former defense lawyer, when you have someone who's defended corporations for a long period of time, uh, they know where all the bodies are buried and they know the regulatory, um, what's the right word, shortcuts, let me say that, that sometimes, sometimes companies use. And so I thought it would be just an excellent resource at the SEC that and my experience is uh, much like converted Catholics. There's a hell hath no fury like a converted Catholic and hell hath no fury like a converted regulator. Uh, and we've seen many instances of that over the years, I think. But that's the nature of being a lawyer. You rigorously and jealous, zealously represent your client, whoever that client is at that moment. It mm-hmm. might be Exxon today and it, tomorrow it might be the Securities and Exchange Commission. Uh, so I wasn't uh, really offended by her prior work. I thought it would actually bring uh, a kind of a, a different new level to the Securities and Exchange Commission. Any kind of thoughts on that? Well, I, yeah, I, I agree with you, frankly. Um, so the the political discontent, the, the discontent around Alex O came from several different liberal advocacy groups, and they had even sent Gary Gensler a letter earlier this week uh, expressing their dismay that uh, Alex O, having so many years, she worked 17 years at Paul Weiss. She was co-chair of their FCPA defense practice, and now here she is um, enforcing the FCPA. To your point, Tom, I actually think she probably would have been very skillful at that uh, if her heart was in it. And I think lawyers, you know, they're paid to put their hearts into their client's defense or client's prosecution, as the case may be. And I think she probably would have been very good at it. Um, I'm actually reminded of Andrew Weissman, who in the Obama administration was head of the fraud section at uh, the Justice Department, went on to work with Bob Mueller uh, investigating Donald Trump in the first impeachment scandal. We should remember that before all of that, Andrew Weissman represented the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, published a paper probably about 10 years ago talking about FCPA reform. And then shortly thereafter, he got hired by the Justice Department to run FCPA enforcement. He did a really good job of it. So I kind of sort of see for policy moves, maybe you wouldn't want somebody to make such a drastic switch. But Alex O wasn't going to be in a policy position. She was in an enforcement position. She probably could have done a good job. We'll never know. Um, But all of that also is uh, aside from or parallel to whatever might have happened with this deposition where she ran afoul of the judge overseeing the case. And if we want to get into that, that seems like it might be the I think the the true story is probably a confluence of whatever happened with this deposition and the political disenchantment with O being appointed to the SEC. Um, I think somewhere in all of that is actually why her 
position just became untenable and she had to bail. So I want to get into that because that to, to me is part of the deliciousness of this. And I'm going to quote from your blog, Matt, where, oh, apparently called this quote, oh, apparently called her opposing counsel, agitated, disrespectful, and unhinged. And then your addition without apparently offering any evidence. Well, I cannot tell you the number of depositions I have sat in, taken, defended, and if that's actionable and if that's sanctionable, there are a whole lot of lawyers in this country that are in a world of hurt. That's uh, what I don't get. Like, I thought that's what a lawyer did in a deposition was you called opposing counsel's names. And so I am unclear under what circumstance would an outburst like that lead to a judge saying, Please explain to me why I shouldn't sanction you because what you said wasn't true. It seems like a very subjective sort of a thing, but I don't know if she just said during a deposition, you're being a jerk, or if she put in an actual court filing and lied to the judge, we were derailed in this deposition because opposing counsel was a jerk. All right, man, I could see that. I, I Tom, you're a practicing lawyer or you were a practicing lawyer. I never have been. Uh, so I don't I'm not sure I get the nuance of what happened here and what went off the rails. Uh, you know, generally speaking, there's one word and I think everyone would know what that one word is that you cannot say on the record in a deposition because then it's on the record. Uh, if you're off the record, you can say whatever you want. Uh, and that word was not part of the three uh, that you quoted. The other part, though, Matt, uh, also that you uh, noted was just actually in a deposition defending ExxonMobil. And so I yep. began to wonder, uh, it, it's been noted in uh, the public reporting about her nomination and acceptance, or rather accepting the position, and of course, her resignation that she not only did the firm represent ExxonMobil, but she did. So I'm wondering if there was something in that representation or even that case that we haven't heard about yet, simply beyond calling a opposing counsel unhinged. Well, in my opinion, all opposing counsel were unhinged uh, because they were opposing me. I just don't get that. But, you know, maybe there was something something in there that, that hasn't come out yet. But could we maybe may now flip it over to uh, what's always referred to as the Elizabeth Warren equation? Yeah. Um, I would have thought that her selection would have at least been run by Senator Warren, if not approved by Senator Warren. And so that part of the Democratic Party that object to it, I mean, I felt like that had been handled. Is Do you, do you have a different take? I, I do wonder, like, if we want to talk about what does this mean for Gary Gensler as SEC chairman? You know, clearly, this is not a headache he wanted to have. This is an embarrassment for him right out of the gate. But I'm sort of wondering, how did this happen? The, the deposition in question took place, I believe, in February. Uh, Gensler himself was not confirmed until, I think, the beginning of March. And he had a confirmation hearing in the Senate sometime in in mid-March, then he was confirmed in earlier in April this month. I'm sorry. So uh, whatever happened with this deposition in February was old news and should have come up in the vetting that Gensler and his team would have done on Alex O probably earlier this month. And so did they miss this? Did Alex O not disclose it? Um, was the judge's decision just so unexpected that nobody thought this would become a thing and it was a thing? Um, or did they all know about it and figured we shouldn't brief the Elizabeth Warren wing of the, the party, which 
is an important wing of the Democratic Party, and she does sit on the Senate Banking Committee, which oversees Gary Gensler. Um, so, like, there's a whole lot that I'm just wondering: How did you miss this? This is this like this was an important appointment for Gary Gensler. Uh, it's the biggest division within the SEC. I'm sure he is not an enforcement chairman per se. I would say more he's like a policy maven, and he's got some big policy things he needs to figure out while he's in charge. Um, so Alex O was going to be one of his big lieutenants, and now this blows up. Um, and the, the very fact that it did, I just like there's supposed to be somebody who prevents these explosions, and and that didn't happen. There's one other point you raised in your blog that uh, uh, really I don't, don't think has been explored, and it may be because of the it's not timely or ripe yet. But uh, uh, I think you reported that uh, Paul Weiss had been uh, contacted for comment about her coming back to the firm and there was no instant uh, arms open, come on back. So I was, maybe something else is at play here uh, because of that. I, I, I could only speculate, so I, I won't. Um, my understanding is they got a comment from Paul Weiss. I think it was law.com that tracked them down almost immediately after Alex O had resigned. So it could just be a case of nobody knew what was going on. Uh, the ExxonMobil case itself, we might as well mention that lawsuit is a long running thing. I think it was originally filed nearly 20 years ago uh, about human rights abuses that allegedly Exxon is responsible for in Indonesia uh, against some indigenous peoples there who had filed a lawsuit against Exxon, I want to say in 2001 or sometime in the early 2000s. It's been dragging on forever and a day. Um, what all the details are, honestly, I, I don't know. Um, and and here we are. I guess uh, I'm perhaps less concerned about the uh, new SEC chair that perhaps this might be an embarrassment, but it happened early enough on his watch that uh, he could make a comeback. Uh, do you, sure. Would you think this is the, the, the type of problem that Jay Clayton faced in terms of the KPMG uh, imbroglio and the PCAOB that it kind of floated or exploded on the scene a few months after he came on board as a SEC? No, those, those changes, uh, that, that's an interesting question. The problems that beset Jay Clayton when he first arrived and during the Trump administration were much deeper and more systemic that the commission itself needed to change some of the ways that it oversteed, oversaw the PCAOB. Uh, they had a big cybersecurity breach at the same time. Um, Clayton had a lot of operational things blow up right away. Um, this is more of a personnel thing. Uh, it is worth wondering, okay, if the Elizabeth Warren wing of the Democratic Party is now going to exercise some sort of veto power over who's the head of enforcement, well, then who is going to be the head of enforcement? Because Somebody who I think Elizabeth Warren would say, yeah, yeah, this is great. I, that person's probably going to have corporate defense lawyers breathing on a paper bag. Um, we don't know who this new successor might be, but uh, it's clearly not going to be somebody who is a vigorous corporate lawyer, defense lawyer for many years because that ain't going to fly. Um, and Gensler, I don't think, needs that headache. He's got enough challenges in his job. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, uh, a special cameo appearance from Matt Kelly, and uh, we'll head on to some of the other stories which caught my eye this week. Uh, first up, we have a story about three priorities for forward-thinking boards from Maria Motes on uh, posted on Corporate Compliance Insights. 
And she says that there are a couple of boards could get ahead of now. Number one, challenge management on climate issues. The Biden administration has obviously made combating climate change a top priority. And companies think about this in the context of their ESG disclosures. Uh, number two, commit to making real diversity and inclusion changes. Yes, uh, more needs to be done, um, done when it comes to DNI, but that's just the start. You have to change uh, incentives, you have to change quantifiable goals, and you have to make progress. And uh, finally, and this is uh, perhaps the most prescient, double down on crisis planning. Uh, we've moved from uh, disaster recovery to business continuity to business as usual. So crisis planning is going to be absolutely critical. The next story comes to us from Mike Volkoff uh, in his always great crime, uh, corruption, crime, and compliance blog. And he talks about why uh, uh, compliance must understand business process. Uh, this is a critical area for every compliance officer. If you don't understand the business processes of your company, you're going to be not only in a world of hurt, and not be able to deliver an appropriate, but more importantly, you'll not garner the trust of the business folks. If you can't speak business talk, if you can't read a spreadsheet, if you can't understand how your own company's business processes work, then you're not going to be able to do compliance because you will overlay a system which really does not apply to the business processes. So how do you learn about business processes? Well, uh, go down the hall and have a cup of coffee with the head of internal audit. Go down the hall and uh, have a cup of coffee with the head of sales. Go down the hall and have a cup of coffee with the ISO. Uh, there are internal resources in every company uh, that can educate you on your own business processes. And more importantly, those people want to talk to you. Uh, they they want to know who's compliance. They they don't want compliance to be Dr. No at the land of no, no more than you want it to be. So uh, understand your business processes. It's a key um, component of uh, being a compliance officer. Next up, we have a story about location risk. And this comes to us uh, in an article from CCI entitled, and the award for the most disastrous third-party risk goes to by a tool, uh, Vashistha, I'm sorry, I'm sure I but butchered your name. But she talked about uh, location risk as a risk that is not really thought about enough. But her also, uh, um, article is much broader than that. She takes a look at financial and cyber risks, and here she sees companies not utilizing data enough. She focuses on resiliency risks. Uh, and uh, really emphasizing that resiliency requires monitoring continuously. It uh, requires monitoring on locations, and it requires monitoring on a broad variety of risks. Some of the risks on the horizon for the rest of 2021 and perhaps further include your own employees or uh, hidden risks in your organization. We mentioned cyber and financial risk, regulatory and compliance risks, Obviously, after uh, ever again shipping in the Suez Canal, supply chain disruption risks. Now, of course, we have uh, ESG risks. So it's a great article. Uh, and if you don't focus on location risks, I think it's something that uh, you might want to think about going forward. Next up from the Harvard Law School Forum on Corporate Governance, an article on investor due diligence 
on modern slavery for companies. Uh, this comes to us from someone whose name I'm going to completely butcher, Subdoha uh, Mishra. Sorry again. Uh, but he takes a look at how investors should consider due diligence on uh, modern slavery issues for corporations they're thinking about investing in. And he works with Institutional Shareholder Services, a well-known corporate rating agency. And so uh, he says you should focus on uh, forced labor. And are there uh, information or is there information uh, that you can access which would help you around this? He points you to uh, the International Labor Organization, uh, their work around uh, forced labor that you can take a look at. You should measure and ensure adherence to labor standards in your supply chain. Think about improvements, uh, potential improvements in high-risk industry. And when you think about this from the investor perspective, I think it really puts a cap on why it's so critical. Yes, we have regulatory. Yes, it's a moral issue, but know what? It's a business issue. So think about performing due diligence. And for the compliance officer, this may mean you have to perform due diligence on uh, uh, companies you do business with, both in the supply chain and on the investor side. Next up, uh, May is Internal Auditors Month. And this will no doubt warm the heart of Jonathan Marks and his internal auditor colleagues. Uh, it comes to us in an article from NAVAX Global's Risk and Compliance Matters blog. And uh, it starts off by uh, telling us, once again, that internal audit serves as organization's third line of defense. The first line of defense is business units that own risk. Second is risk and control specialists who support the first line. And then third line is uh, auditors who validate and verify these. So um, I'm not sure you would want to go so far as to say it's Hug Your Internal Auditors Month, but it may give you pause as a compliance practitioner to think about What's the role of internal audit in my compliance program? When was the last time you went down and had a virtual cup of coffee with your head of internal audit? And you should use internal audit in a way that um, will help move the, uh, the ball forward. Next up, uh, Dick Catton has a just fascinating article on working from home procrastination. And he starts off by saying, it occurred to me that work from home has always been the norm for professional writers. So he took a look at how some seasoned writers uh, handle the, their procrastination and then other procrastinations that worse uh, are, are for all of us. Um, he discovered right off the bat that most writers are huge procrastinators. And I, I would have to say when I have my writing hat on, I'm one of those. But uh, many um, tech workers who about who've been uh, in the work from home environment really uh, have said that uh, the normal attention span uh, is down to just a few hours a day. And what really Dick took from this is um, the procrastination may not be uh, such a negative thing at times. And uh, it's, a, it's a really cute and funny article, and I would urge you uh, to take a look at it. So kudos to Dick Casson. Next up, in another article from the FCPA blog, we take a look at risk-based training. And this comes to us from Peter Vickness. I think he's a first-time uh, contributor to the uh, This Week in FCPA. He may have 
uh, previously written for the FCPA blog. Um, uh, but he uh, really talks about risk-based training. And this is a concept that's been floating around uh, for some time and is not really new. Uh, but he uh, says having a risk-based approach uh, to train employees is really a way to uh, demonstrate to regulators the robustness of your system. Obviously, this is uh, something that uh, people like Ricardo Peloton and uh, Ronnie Feldman have been talking about for quite a while in the in the uh, training space. But you don't need to deliver your standard FCPA training annually to everybody. Uh, you need to deliver gatekeeper training to gatekeepers, board of directors training to boards of directors, senior management training. And most importantly, those business uh, BD folks out on the front line. So if you can risk rank your employees and deliver both training and communications in such a manner, I think that that will be something uh, that will be looked very favorably upon by the Department of Justice. Now we are going to bring on Dave Leeford. Dave is the uh, editor-in-chief at Compliance Week. And Dave is here to share some really exciting news, I think, with us about the upcoming Compliance Week 2021 conference. So, Dave, first of all, welcome and uh, to the podcast. Thank you. I appreciate it. So with that, Dave, uh, could you tell us a little bit about a general overview of uh, this year's conference? So, yeah. Uh, first off, I just want to say that we're, uh, I don't know, we're all really bummed that uh, COVID is still hanging around. We would, we would have loved to have gone live this year. Uh, we haven't been live since our, our May 2019 national conference. So, um, so again, we're going virtual for a second straight year, but it's all right. It means you don't have to travel. Uh, it means it's a lot cheaper to attend. I mean, you still get all of the great insight, um, but you don't, you know, you, you don't get that in feel that sort of that in-person feel uh, of our live event. So I'm really looking forward to next year. We'll be back in DC again, as we usually are. Uh, for our 17th annual um, at the JW Marriott there. So um, we're looking forward to that. But this year's, uh, we're, we're going May 11th through 13th. Um, it's going to be three days. I think we've got 20-something sessions, more than 60 speakers. Uh, our headliner on day one is going to be James Comey, um, former FBI director. Um, he was supposed to keynote our, our live 2020 event, but obviously we got pushed back because of, uh, of COVID. Um, we actually just uh, we just talked to him today. We did our, our, our prep call with him, and he's sort of going to give a, a compliance pep talk of sorts. I mean, it's, it's going to stress the importance of ethics and compliance and really sustaining uh, an ethical culture during um, what he'll call – uh, boom times, sort of in anticipation of a post-COVID economic recovery, an economic boom. Um, and as we've learned from from past experiences and past periods of uh, economic growth, that these these boom times that come after prolonged struggle often see uh, a lot of corners cut, a lot of fraud. And so he's he's sort of going to to give the uh, the practitioners in the audience a little bit of a pep talk, a little bit of a, you know, your jobs are more important than ever kind of a message. Um, can also be reading the tea leaves uh, on the Biden regulatory agenda, um, in particular, uh, what's happening with the SEC, um, what might be on Gensler's mind, the new focus on ESG. Um, so we'll have a little bit of a focus on that. Uh, he'll also talk about um, the importance of the Justice Department reinforcing its political independence. Um, uh, so 
And the other thing I'll say uh, about um, Comey is that we we know he's a controversial figure, and there are there are people on both sides of the aisle that probably don't don't like him and don't don't agree uh, with a lot of um, what he's done over the years. But I'll say this: uh, you know, after after speaking with him and after uh, reading his book, um, A Higher Loyalty, it's clear, at least to me, um, that. You know, he he really agonized over uh, his decision to uh, reopen the Hillary Clinton email investigation just before the 2016 election. So to me, anyway, he is a, a leader who consistently tries to do the right thing for I'm uh, sorry, do the right thing for the right reasons. Um, and that's really what compliance in ethics is, is all about. And so I'd want to hear from a person who is in such a high profile place and has to make these important decisions, um, even if I didn't necessarily agree with his decision. So we're really looking forward to, to him kicking things off on, uh, on Monday the 11th. Um, the second day will be highlighted by uh, CCO from City, uh, Mary McNiff. Um, she'll, she'll have a fireside chat with our uh, events director, uh, Julie DeMauro. Um, she started at, uh, at City um, last June as CCO, so just a few months after COVID hit. Um, so, so she'll sort of be talking about her responsibilities as, you know, being responsible for risk management for the essentially the world's most global bank. Um, you know, they have operations in nearly 100 countries. So she'll be discussing um, City's efforts to to modernize infrastructure and sort of dealing uh, with the um, the after effects uh, of COVID um, and, and sort of how how City got through COVID period. Um, Another another highlight on the agenda that I'll uh, that I want to point out is our we have our second annual Excellence in Compliance Awards um, that'll be awarded this year. We have seven awards, including CCO of the Year, including Lifetime Award, uh, and for the first time we have a um, Compliance uh, Program of the Year too. Um, we got a lot of great nominations. The winners have been selected. They've been interviewed. Really insightful stuff from all of them. Um, so we'll be revealing the winners and interviews with each winners uh, on day one of our conference, May 11th, uh, I think at around noontime. Um, some of the other uh, some of the other elements of the of the uh, event are we have a, we're doing something new on the third day of the event. So day three, Wednesday, um, May 13th, um, we're calling it Career Day. So it's it's re- what it really is. It's a, it's a half day focused on advancing in your compliance career. Um, we'll cover, you know, how to have conversations about compensation, how to best promote yourself to your boss or your executive team. Um, uh, career coach Amy Bernard-Bond is going to uh, kick things off uh, that day with a sort of a, a keynote speech about about how to do those things. Um, we'll all, that day also features um, special women's virtual luncheon, uh, and Christy Grant Hart will be speaking then. Um, discussing topics that are specific to the challenges uh, that women face in the workplace. Um, then throughout, we're, well, I should note that we're still trying to land. Uh, we have a representative from the SEC speaking. Uh, we're still trying to, to try to reel in Gary Gensler, the newly named chair, uh, to speak at the conference. Um, but since he is, he is so new, uh, we haven't got a confirmation from him yet. And we, at this point, this late in the game, we, um, we probably uh, shouldn't expect to, unfortunately. Um, so, but our agenda also features, you know, the, we'll, we'll have Wei Chen, the compliance pioneer, talking about training and analytics. Uh, we'll have a lot of talk about compliance and technology, AI, machine learning. Um, also, we'll have a, a session on 
where compliance will be in 2030, uh, which honestly sounds like really far away, but it's it's less than a decade away. Um, you know, we'll have we'll still have a lot of the usual things you would expect. Um, latest best practices on third-party risk management. Uh, cybersecurity is an important topic this year. Uh, uh, reporting how to report on diversity and inclusion efforts to the board, and how to how to quantify those efforts because obviously that's been a big initiative uh, for a lot of organizations this past year. And so that conversation will center around uh, sort of how to um, how to quantify that, how to how to um, how to talk about it to the board in, in ways that where you can show real progress. Um, we're talking about regulatory change management, um, what the sort of reading the tea leaves on the, on the Biden administration. Um, so we really got, uh, you know, all of the usual topics that you would expect at the compliance week live conference. We've got it packed into that same three days that we usually have. Uh, it's a little bit more spread out. Um, you know, we'd expect, you know, it will be available on demand as well. So, uh, it's not like you'll have to spend three days in front of your uh, computer screen, um, just go, jumping from session to session. They'll all be archived and available for uh, to consume whenever you want. Um, obviously, uh, each session will have its own continuing learning credits. I know those are incredibly important for all attendees. Um, it'll be very easy to download your certificates. We've got a very intuitive uh, digital platform that we use for that. Um, so we're really looking forward to it. It's coming together very nicely. We're into the final stretch now. We're about a week and a half away, maybe two weeks, less than less than two weeks away. Um, so the planning is is full bore. Uh, we think it's going to be great. So Dave, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time for your segment. But I was wondering uh, if any of the listeners to this podcast wanted to attend, would there be a special code they could use that we'll put in uh, to the show notes? Yeah, so, uh, so yes, we, we created a code called uh, PODCAST599. Uh, so if you enter that code, PODCAST599, uh, during the checkout process, go to Compliance Week website, complianceweek.com. Uh, if you click on events, you'll be able to register uh, for the national conference right there. And during the checkout process, if you enter PODCAST599, you'll get, I think it's a $300 discount uh, to pay $599 for, uh, for all three days. Again, you get the CPE credits, you get the archive. Um, uh, it'll be a great experience. Well, Dave, on behalf of the listeners to this week in FCPA, I wanted to thank you for that kind offer. And I wanted to thank you for coming on uh, in this special cameo appearance to tell us about Compliance Week 2021, one of the annual top conferences in the compliance space. And I look forward to when we can get together on the live conference as well. Same here, Tom. I can't wait to get back in person. I'm right. chomping at you. Bit. Appreciate you having me on. So we are to the section on podcasts and events. A few podcast notes this week on the Compliance Life. I had my fourth and final episode with Jonathan Kellerman, partner at Stone Turn, and he took a look took a look down the road for what's next in compliance. In events, we have uh, K two Integrity on May sixth as a webinar. Uh, in Spanish, reputational due diligence for companies and investment firms. We've linked to registration. As Dave Leefort mentioned, you can have a discount to Compliance Week, uh, Compliance Week 2021. Use the code PODCAST599 at checkout. I've also linked to the registration and information. Uh, once again, CCI has released a new ebook, the FCPA Year in Review by uh, yours truly the compliance evangelist, Tom Fox. Uh, you can uh, 
obtain a copy uh, by going to the CCI website or through the show notes in this episode. And best of all, it's free. It's a great resource if I say so myself. But the next best resource that you might want to pay for is uh, the Compliance Handbook 2nd Edition, which I humbly submit to you is the best single author volume on how to design, create, and implement a best practices compliance program. I'm extraordinarily pleased to have LexisNexis as the publisher for this update and it's uh, in uh, production. It should be available uh, within the next uh, couple of months, uh, but you can get a discount uh, to it. Uh, by using the code FOX25. So I know we had a little bit uh, shorter show uh, this week, but uh, hopefully Jay and his family's move went smoothly. I hope you enjoyed Matt Kelly with his cameo appearance uh, to talk about Alex O and leaving the SEC and Dave Leefort, who talked about Compliance 2021. So this is Tom Fox. This is the end of This Week in FCPA for the week ending April 30, 2021. Thanks so much for listening. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of This Week in FCPA. If you have any questions, you can reach Jay at jrosen at affiliatedmonitors.com. You can reach me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. I hope you will join Jay and I again next week where we take up some of the week's top compliance and ethics stories, talk about upcoming webinars, and review key podcasts on the Compliance Podcast Network, which premiered for the week. Thanks again for listening. Uh, Please join us on our live stream on the Q&A. We'd love to interact with you. It goes up on LinkedIn and Facebook at 4 p.m. Central every Thursday. You can engage with us then. We look forward to visiting with you again next week, and thanks again for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.